everybody. It's a real uh, uh, nice to be back home, uh, but we had we had a wonderful time in, in Washington. Um, the, the wedding was, well, this uh, the wedding for Joey and Sarah, uh, her name's Sarah Landine, now Sarah McCabe. Uh, <coughs> she's one of ten kids, and they were all there. No, not all of them. No, there were some who didn't couldn't make it. Right, uh, and we got to meet her. Her parents have been doctrinal people for eons, and uh, so yeah, Joey, uh, who met her, it turns out he met her at a, a 5K race that they both attended some conference because uh, she works. She does a non-profit. It's a non-profit she worked for, or something like that. She does something similar to what Joey does, and for for work. And they met at a work conference at a 5K, which apparently she uh, outran Joey quite quite easily, <laughs> very easily. So uh, anyway, <clears throat> they they were. I mean, I. In all, of all the weddings I've done, I've never gotten choked up at one besides this one. When when she came down the aisle and they they held hands, I I almost couldn't make it through the opening prayer. It was it was very real. There was something there. It was wonderful. Uh, so yeah, he's married now. And then um, you know we were given you know you sign the. Uh, the marriage certificate to make it official, and uh, of course, thank God I have my wife Chris for many reasons, uh, and one of them is, is that she's good at reading directions. Uh, you know, all of us, we just kind of glaze over all that. So it turns out that I was not uh, qualified to marry somebody in the state of Virginia. Yeah, we found out later. It's never been a problem in any state. I've done marriages in Texas, Pennsylvania, in several states. Never been a problem. Virginia is pretty restrictive. And so we were like, it's one of those things is, should we tell them? We're like, you know, they were, you know, dinner had just started. We're like, well, we'll tell them later. Let them, let them enjoy it. And uh, I got to tell Joey. Joey was with Aaron. Of course, you know Aaron. Aaron did the best, best man speech I have ever heard in my life. I hope it's recorded because if it is, you should all listen to it. it he, Everybody was in tears laughing. But, um, yeah, it, Joey was with Aaron and a couple of the other guys, and I went up to him. This was pretty much later on. And I said, Joey, I, I have good news and bad news. The good news is that your wife is beautiful, and congratulations. The bad news is she's not your wife. <laughs> Because I'm not qualified, they thought it was hilarious. Uh, and so, anyway, the the wedding coordinator took the documentation, and hopefully, they'll figure that out. They have 30; they'll get it done. They have 30 days to get it done. I I, I did the ominous, dominus, dominus. You know, <laughs> in the eyes of the Lord, go have fun on your honeymoon, kind of thing. Uh, so, I would say, in the eyes of the Lord, they are completely married. It was really wonderful. 
Tom McCabe and, and the whole family, if you've seen Tom's been here a few times, Brad Courtney if you, was there from Arizona, old cowboy, and Wendy, uh, him and Wendy are getting married next year. Uh, so anyway, it was, it was terrific. Uh, also, uh, we got to open uh, last time with seeing how papyrus was made last Sunday and why you need scribes to write on that particular rough lined paper. And so sure enough, I didn't plan it this way, but then uh, we got to go to, oh, that's, that's all right. You can put it up later. Or can you put it up now? Thanks. But anyway, we got to go to the Bible Museum. There's a Bible Museum in Washington, D.C. that has thousands of manuscripts. Uh, and this is the manuscript room. Uh, and if you can see, uh, well, I can walk over. This, these little cases are all filled with, this is the older part. So you start with the older part. This is a thing that they have there. It's from the Gospel of John. Uh, and it's 200 A.D. It's one of the oldest that we have. And the whole room is full of them. And it was wonderful uh, to see it all. Uh, then, then as you progress, you go through. You get into uh, the, the later Bibles. The uh, What was it called? Um, uh, not visual, but where they have the pictures on them and they're all inlaid with gold and illuminated. They have a section of illuminated Bibles where... On uh, there, <coughs> like gold leaf is inlaid into the margins, and they're just gorgeous. They're just these big, beautiful Bibles. Uh, there was a great one there. They had a printer's error in it. I was telling uh, Larry earlier. Uh, it's a huge Bible, a huge King James. They have original King James Bibles there. Their first edition, first printing. You just can't believe it. There's a Luther's Bible, a, a German Bible, where Luther's handwriting is in the margin. Yeah. Uh, and uh, so, but there's a, in this Bible, there's a printer's error. Uh, and <clears throat> the title at the top of the page was Parable of the Vineyard. And the printer put Parable of the Vinegar. Oh and, they, and then they ran off, like, probably a few hundred of these Bibles. And they, and they got forever vinegar in there. So anyway, really, really great. <clears throat> um, so yeah, and we're going to celebrate the Lord's Supper this morning. So we'll get into that after after the message. And so with that, let's open up in prayer and let's be thankful to God for a time to gather and hear His Word, to worship Him and to learn. <clears throat> and so with humility and reverence. Let's bow our heads and pray. Our Heavenly Father, thank You for our another day in which we can be with You and learn Your Word. Thank You for Your Word. Thank You that it is timeless and forever. That You have preserved it magnificently as You can with Your infinite power and no one can overcome when your purposes will be done and your word will accomplish all that you would have it do. And it is accomplishing in the souls of your children what you would have it. Uh, we thank you that through your word uh, our lives are changed. Through your word we see you. Through your word we see your glory that is reflected to us. Your Holy Spirit 
is revealing to us the Lord Jesus Christ, who is revealing, therefore, you, and Father, to see you and live with you, is wonderful. There are many things in life, in this life, that are difficult and hard and are of trial and tribulation and obstacles and problems. And yet you, Father, with you, we can overcome them all because you are more than all of them combined. And so we thank you for the time to focus our eyes upon you and your Son through the Holy Spirit within us. We are so grateful and we ask in Christ's name, Amen. Uh, Let's all rise.
We're going to start in Genesis 20. Genesis 20. Oh, Roger, I'm out of practice. I didn't. I forgot to give you a little note. You're on your own. <laughs> so we continue uh, and just highlighting some aspects of of prayer um, before we get into. Uh, some more deeper aspects, especially uh, looking at prayers that's used throughout the Scripture. Uh, where you're at right now in Genesis 20 is the first mention of prayer in the Bible. And the first one to pray is Abraham. Uh, we, I mean, mentioned in the Bible. I'm sure there's plenty of people praying before Abraham. And I know we could, but this is the first, term, the first time that the Word... Uh, for prayer is used. As we've been noting, and it, and I, it bears being repeated quite a bit, that 
we speak with God and we meet with God through his word. Um, it is, God is speaking to us through his word. And for us to communicate with him, we communicate in the same realm through his word, not outside of it. Uh, and, and as we note from Romans chapter 8, we were, because of our weakness, we don't really know how to pray, but the Holy Spirit helps our weakness. Uh, and so that reveals, though it's still a somewhat confusing passage, though we know there that the Holy Spirit is, in essence, in our prayers, helping us, or in essence, really helping our thoughts to become something of, uh, of worth, of value, of um, significance in the midst of the Trinity. So there we have the Spirit talking to the Father. We also know the, the Son, Jesus Christ, prays in our behalf. And so the whole Trinity is involved in not only interceding for us, but uh, discussing us. You know, what's going on with you? What, what do you need? What do you lack? What are you weak in? What are you strong in? And, of course, they know this, but uh, <clears throat> do we see of God? And it's, it's infinitely interesting to me because words pack a punch. Uh, some words are not that meaningful, but some words are filled with meaning. And, of course, God... Uh, can, he, can God, the Trinity, communicate telepathically, if you will? Well, of course they can. Uh, but they speak. When the Son comes to the earth, he speaks to the Father. He uses words. When God creates, he uses words. He speaks a language and uses words, and those words are powerful uh, for us, the exact words that we use in prayer don't matter, but they, we shouldn't take that the wrong way. It's what matters is the truths that are in every Bible, at least a Bible that is of a decent translation. Uh, the truths are there, whether it's the King James or Luther's Bible. Also, I found out uh, recently that Luther in Romans chapter 8, I think it's 828, where it says we're justified by faith. Luther, when he, when he translated from Greek to German, he put in the word alone. He added, he put, it says we're justified by faith, and he put in alone, and it's not in the original. Like, okay, Martin, it works, but you know, don't add to, you don't have to add to the word of God. But anyway, uh, do the exact words matter? Well, there's, Hundreds of translations. Actually, the other thing we saw in the Bible Museum is there's a project to translate the Bible into every single language on planet Earth. And how many are there? And, and I couldn't believe it. So they have this room that's a huge display of, it's all lit up. Um, they're like individual books uh, that <clears throat> are on a shelf, and each book represents a language. And it shows you in one, they're color-coded. So the ones that have translations are over here. And, it, and they have this huge wall that says not translated yet. And there, are, there must be a thousand of them, at least many hundreds. And they gave, you know, they gave, uh, uh, like for instance, say somewhere in South America where you think everybody's speaking the same language, but their dialects are slightly different. And 
And so just in one region, there could be hundreds of languages. And the purpose of this project is to translate the Bible into every single one. I think it's 20, 30-something that they plan to, to do it, and they're doing it. So think about that. There's a lot. There would be hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of different translations. What matters is that in our own thoughts, because we think in terms of language, that we have the truth that is shown in the Scripture. God's mind. So what is the truth of Christ? What is the truth of the Trinity? What is the truth of human history? What is the truth of the fall of man? What is the truth of salvation, of redemption, of election, of predestination? These are truths. And if you know them, you can put them into your own words. But when we communicate with God, we communicate in these truths. And that's why we can, and I suggest that we should, pray with passages in mind. And actually, with the Bible open in front of you. God doesn't tell us that you have to pray with your eyes closed. That's why we can pray in the car. And we can pray anywhere. We have access. We are believer priests, every one of us have access. It says in Hebrews that we live in the Holy of Holies. In other words, the high priest could only go in there once a year in the Old Testament, and he had to go in with the proper sacrifice, or he'd die on the spot. We live there. And so the communication to God is always open. But that communication must be within the truths of God's Word. So we can pray the Psalms. We don't have to memorize them, but we can certainly speak of them to God. When we read them while we pray, we're sitting with our Father. So who is the Lord to us? Master. Uh, the Father is our Father. The Lord, the Son of God, is our brother. He is also the Holy Spirit is our teacher. And in reality, when you're alone with the Scripture and your Lord, your Father, through the Holy Spirit, it's like a one-on-one -on -one Bible study. And it doesn't have to be for, you know, I know we're all crunched. This, one of the reasons people don't pray, I've seen it in the multiple books that I bought on this subject, and all the, the, the fine teachers of prayer say the same thing. They're too busy. People are too busy. We're going around too fast. Our schedules are too full. So we don't say we don't have the time. And that is ridiculous. And if we see how important it is, we will, you know, and... You know, that we all have plenty of time to do everything that we need to do. All of us do. It's the time that we waste. That we, I think we waste a lot of time that we don't know how much we're wasting. But, <clears throat> so, uh, what is not true of any other person besides God is that his word is identical to action. So, God's word is the power the pure power to do. When God speaks, it happens. When God said, let there be light, it happens. When we say, let there be light, nothing happens. When God says, let there be light, he doesn't say, he doesn't say it and then create it. When he says it, it happens. In fact, in Hebrews 11.3, the worlds were created by the word of God. God spoke. And the world leapt into being. And this is 
foreign to us because our words don't pack such power. Now, don't get me wrong. Words pack power for us in terms of thought. A thought. I'm a Colonel Theme used to say this all the time. A thought can make or break you. A, 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 a fine, you know, true thought can make the difference in a person's soul between a good decision and a bad decision, between happiness and misery, between hope and despair. One thought. And we have these thoughts. Sometimes, you know, we all know this. We have the, the thoughts are in there. We're just not looking at them. We're not grabbing hold of them. Satan prowls about like a roaring lion, right? He wants us to look at the wrong things. And when God has given us so many beautiful things to look at, that's why we gather together and look at them. You know, when we gather together or when you do your Bible study or read your scripture, you're, you're forcing yourself to look at it. Look at the truth. Look at the words. Because if we go on not looking, we soon become full of other words that don't have the same meaning. By faith we understand, uh, Hebrews 11.3, by faith we understand that the worlds were prepared by the word of God so that what is seen was not made out of things which are visible. So God spoke, now talk about power. God spoke and that which was visible became from that which was not. And wrap your mind around that. Ex nihilo, they call it out of in, in Latin. Yeah. You throw the Latin phrases out there, it makes you sound pretty smart. But uh, what it means is he created something out of nothing. That doesn't sound so smart. But it's the same truth, right? which is a perfect depiction in prayer. I could say, oh, Heavenly Father, I know that you've created ex nihilo. Or you can say, oh, Heavenly Father, you have made a bunch of stuff out of nothing. You've said the same thing. God changes Abraham's Abram, which means exalted father, to Abraham, which means father of a multitude. He's changed his name. And then Abraham could make a lot of babies, which he did. In Psalm 29, the voice of the Lord breaks cedars into splinters. In Isaiah 55, the word of God accomplishes all of God's good pleasure. In John 5, the Lord said, All who are in the tombs shall hear his voice and shall come forth. When we pray according to God's word, we're conversing with God's power of doing. The word does. The truth does. That's why it affects us so much. That's why when our minds, when our, the eyes of our heart are on it, the effect upon us is profound. When the eyes of our heart are not on it, the effect on our heart, well, is just us. And that's never good. So we only know who we are praying to when we learn it from the Scripture. How do we know we should pray to the Father? It's from the Scripture. We'll, get to, we'll see the couple of passages where it seems like you can pray to Jesus and it seems like you can pray to the Holy Spirit. And uh, there's, there's nothing in the Scripture that says, don't you dare pray to Jesus. You know? But um, from 
if you take all the passages that are about the instructions on method, that by far praying to the Father outweigh all the rest or, or anything else that's mentioned. So we take the safe path there and pray to the Father. And, you know, do we know the Father? It's important to know who you're talking to. And because, and we've seen this, through the ministry of God, the Holy Spirit is to reveal to us the Son. When we see the Son, we see the Father. And so, yes, we come to know, and this is a process, and that's what really this today's message is about, is that your prayer life is actually your manner, one of the ways in which you seek God. You seek his reality, his person, who he is. Uh, Now, if you say, all right, I'm going to seek God by prayer, but I'm not going to learn his word, you're right. We pray and converse with God through the truths in his word. If you don't have the word in your heart, you can't do that. So you'll be just talking to a God that you have basically made up in your own mind. Because it's the word of God that tells us who God is. It's the word of God that tells us what he has done for us. And what we should do. It's all here, not anywhere else. And so from that, we, in our prayer lives, we discover him. It's a search for him. Right? Just like when you talk to anybody. If, if two, uh, you know, say uh, Joey and Sarah just, you know, looked at each other and gazed upon each other. They're very handsome, handsome and beautiful girl and a handsome guy. And they just look at each other and they never talk. They just gaze lovingly into each other's eyes. We should be locked up. <laughs> Something wrong with that. They have to talk. Now, uh, we also, if you've been married to someone for a length of time, all you have to do is give them one look and you know, uh-huh, I know exactly what you're saying. Whether it's a dirty look or a kind one. Right? But, but that's because over years you have conversed. God has made us this way. Words are of utmost importance. So we're conversing with God. Um, So we only know what we should be praying from the Bible. We only know who we're praying to from the Bible. God gives us the words, and we don't just repeat them back like a recording device when we speak to him in his truth, searching for, you know, especially when we need his truth to change us or to help us, which is always. Uh, we need him to help us maintain peace and hope um, and, and to understand those words when we're, you know, how do they apply to me? How do I wait? How do I be patient? Because if we get that far this morning, we'll see there's a number of psalms that are about God. When? When? It's Moses prays it. David prays it. They're like, it's this wonderful phrase, when, Lord. They're waiting for something. And God's not on their timing. They've got to learn to get on God's timing. We all do. And that not that a thought? Right? What, who of us have looked... Who of us, all of us, have looked at the near future. And we can't see the distant future hardly at all. But the near future, we think we have a grasp on. 
What's going to happen tomorrow, next week, next month? And say that near future looks bleak. How many times have you thought that the future was bleak and it turned out it wasn't? And you were miserable for days thinking about the possibilities. And you weren't right about any of them. Because we don't know what God's doing. But we do know that what he is doing is for us and not against us. If he, as, as Paul writes so beautifully in Romans 8, if he would give us his son freely, how will he not also with him freely give us all things? In the same chapter in Romans, all things work together for good to those who love God. In the same chapter in Romans, we groan in these bodies. And in the same chapter in Romans, the Holy Spirit groans for us in prayer. In the same chapter in Romans, we look forward to our heavenly home where these bodies, these nasty, filthy, disgusting bodies are finally redeemed. And we will be at peace finally. But until then, fight the good fight. How are we going to fight the good fight if we're not in constant communication? Constantly thinking of the truths that make for this life. <clears throat> now, how do people... This is fascinating to me because I've just seen it happen in, in Maggie. Uh, how, do, how does a newborn learn how to speak? We learn, by, we learn to speak by being spoken to. And, you know, they don't learn goo-goo-ga-ga from us. Right? I, I've, always, I've always laughed at adults who do that to babies. I'm like, why are you talking to them? They, it's not like they understand you. Um, we speak to them in our language. And somehow, it's a miracle, they figure it out. They know and learn by being spoken to. Think about that. We learn how to speak by being spoken to. We learn God's truth by him speaking it to us through his word. So these words come at us. <clears throat> if you've been learning the word of God for some length of time, uh, you know, what did you think when the first time you heard the word predestination or election or, you know, or something like lapsarianism? <laughs> Everybody was like, oh, what? Um, or any of these terms that you may now know well. How did you learn them so well? They were repeated to you again and again. And you saw them, and as time went on, you saw them more clearly. We learn God's truth by Him speaking to us. Language is spoken. We learn language only as we're spoken to. We are plunged at birth into a sea of language, and all speech is answering speech. Children's ability to communicate is profoundly affected by how many words uh, they learn. I saw the stats on this. If you read to your children uh, something like, they, they, they've done studies on this, like five minutes a day, or ten minutes a day, or twenty minutes a day, their, their, vocab, their grasp of vocabulary is profoundly changed as you read to them more in their, in, their, in their youth. 
So, in the same way, we would say that the more exposure each of us has to the Word of God, the more intelligently we'll be able to speak to God. We're learning His language, which is not our, you know, when we say we're learning His language, what is that? We're learning His truth that He has revealed in all languages. Because the truth does not change. How do you know that God loves you and that nothing will separate you from the love of God? Is it because you always feel a warm, fuzzy feeling? No. It's because you learned it from God's Word. How, did you, how do you know that God loves you? Because the Word has told you again and again. And in fact, life has told you again and again. If any believer knows the love of God for them, it is because God has spoken it to them many times. And the promise from God was the same in prosperity and in adversity, in good times and in bad. They, they heard the same word. Right? If, you're, if you're having a horribly difficult time, say with personal sin right now, and you come into Bible class or you open up your Bible and you're reading the same promises, do those promises change when we change? No. God's immutable. He doesn't change. We're we're flip-flopping all over the place like a fish on a dock. But God does not. Right? Did the father, when the prodigal son left, did the father change? No. So in prayer, we're in this conversation. And and we'll see here, you know, the first the first instance of prayer in the Bible is an intercession. And so we'll get to that. But what I want to focus on before we get to that is an aspect of prayer that I think is overlooked a lot. And that's why I'm spending a lot of time in it here at the front. Is discovering God, learning God, learning His Word in prayer. Right? Praying Psalms or any passages that you come across and speaking to the Father about them. And I think it's vastly overlooked. And it's, to me, it's become one of my favorite aspects of prayer, I think, lately. Maybe that's why I'm spending time on it, but I'm hoping that's from God. <clears throat> so as John writes, 1 John 4:16, we have come to know and have believed the love of God, the love which God has for us. How have we come to know it through his word? How have we come to believe it? Well, we believe his word. But then we also discover it in our journey with him. All right? When you failed and you sinned, did God destroy you? No. Was he, did he do and continue to do good for you? Which is a depiction of love to the sinner. But did he also help you? Did he also? And we all come to know how unworthy we are from God's word. That there is no soundness in any of us. And especially, you know, in that passage in Romans 7 where Paul says uh, what a wretched man he is. But he says, thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Who will save me? Who will save this wretched man? And he says, Jesus Christ our Lord. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And so, uh, you know, a sacrificed son of God on the cross, reconciling the world to himself, is the second Corinthians, and we come to know through that cross the love that God has for us. 
every, when my sins came up, and there are many, Jesus Christ took every one of them. And yours, every one was judged upon him. So the goal of prayer, one of the goals, is a real connection with God by immersion into the language of the Bible. Praying. So you know, my individual situation that I need answers on or I need God to intervene in, may not, it won't be found in the Bible. But the truths of what God will do is found here. The, the truths of the virtue that I need to have in response will be found here. Can I say, God, deliver me from all of these bad decisions I've made as I continue to make a bunch of bad decisions? And now I go to the Bible and say, all right, was that going to work? The Bible's got a big old no right in your face. No, that's not going to work. He will intervene. Hey, keep turning, keep reading. Oh, I read about this discipline. And that and it gets us, does God love you? Well, has he disciplined you? Because in Romans 12, God scourges. It's a, it's a rough Greek word. It means to whip. God scourges. Scourges? Scourges. There's a bunch of words I don't know how to pronounce. Every son whom he receives. The love of God maintains that he will not allow us to go too far without imputing to us a bunch of pain. So, uh, when we look at the prayers of the Bible, we do not find those. There's a lot of people praying in the Bible, fortunately. <clears throat> and uh, we, it, we don't find any of them trying to understand themselves or seeking the meaning of life. You don't. It, of all the prayers in the Bible, it's like, oh, you know, God, Father, what is the meaning of my life? They're... There's nothing like that. All the prayers of the Bible are seeking God at the center of all things. They all are. And for some of them, you've got to say, well, <clears throat> for instance, in this first prayer we see of Abraham, he's interceding for a king, for Abimelech. And I think, well, how is that seeking God? You don't have to uh, think about it too hard to figure out that this is God-centered right from the beginning. So, in Genesis 20, we have Abraham using his old trick, saying, Sarah is my sister. He even says to Abimelech, you know, I'm honestly, I'm not completely lying because she's my half-sister, which he is. But, you know, we got married. And this is what we do, right? It's Abraham saying, well, you know, technically, I'm not really lying. So what? It's a... A white lie, a little lie, what is a lie? A lie is a lie. Anyway, he tells Abimelech because he's afraid. Abimelech is the king of Gerar. He, he'd done this in Egypt back in Genesis 12, I think it's 12, that he said, Sarah's my sister, because he didn't want, Sarah's beautiful. She's absolutely stunningly beautiful. And Abraham, you know, if you go into a kingdom, the king's there, uh, they, they, they take beautiful women and put them in their harems. And, they, and if, uh, to, to seal the deal, they'll kill the husband. That's yeah, a rough time. <laughs> but uh, 
So uh, Abraham does the same thing here to uh, Abimelech. And then, uh, so Abimelech takes Sarah, puts her into his harem, but he doesn't touch her. And, the, and God, well, God's going to come to Abimelech in a dream and tell Abimelech's going to be, I didn't touch her. And God's going to say, you damn right you didn't because I didn't let you. It's really wonderful. I don't know if God said damn, but it sounds better. So look at Genesis 27. <clears throat> God says to Abimelech, now therefore restore the man's wife for he is a prophet, and he will pray for you, and you will live. But if you do not restore her, know that you shall surely die, you and all who are yours. And Abimelech is, you got it, right? So Abimelech does takes this very seriously. But notice, uh, and this is an odd thing for such a time. You know, Abimelech would have been a worship, a pagan god worshiper. Now, if you want, in that time, if you want one of the pagan gods to do something for you, what do you do? Well, you have to give them a sacrifice to the, to some to the point like Moloch, the, 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 the god of the Assyrians, that <clears throat> child sacrifice to that limit, or that length, I should say. But you would have to give the god a sacrifice, and then still you're not guaranteed that God is the God with a little G is going to intercede for you. But notice what Abraham does here. In this midst of all of this pagan worship in which sacrifices are made to all these gods, is that all Abraham does is ask. And it's done. No sacrifice. No uh, special words, no incantations, no divining, no special stone or rock or whatever they use. They use all kinds of stuff. None of that pagan nonsense that God would do for his own, for his servants. And this is brand new. At least in the scripture it is, in to Abimelech. So, uh, skip down to verse 17. And Abraham prayed to God, and God healed Abimelech and his wife and his maids, so that they bore children. For the Lord had closed fast all the wombs in the household of Abimelech because of Sarah, Abraham's wife. So God decides that Abimelech, who is, has a very healthy relationship with his harem, apparently, uh, none of them are getting pregnant. And so Abraham prays. Now, this whole sordid event has as its theme these two men, Abimelech and Abraham. The first one, Abimelech, did not fear God, the God. But he came to know that fear and the power of God, the one Lord God, to do the miraculous. It's unmistakable to Abimelech. He also learned that the servants of the one true God have priestly ability of intercession. God tells him clearly, Abraham is going to pray for you and then I will remove the curse from your house. <clears throat> So Jesus says to us in John 16:23, "Truly, truly, I say to you, if you ask of the, you ask the Father for anything, He will give it to you in my name." What? No, no sacrifices need to be made. No vows. No promises. You know, if you do this, I'll be good. No. Ask in my name, and it will be done. Well, it sounds like a blank check there, doesn't it? But. 
we must understand. And, you know, Jesus, I love how he doesn't go into great detail here with saying, you know, well, hold on, there's some caveats here. You're not going to get like anything, you know, don't be praying for millions of dollars and all that. He, he allows us to figure out this truth that when we ask, because the conversation with God has to be in the realm of his truth. That's what he's communicated to us. Again, we learn to speak with our parents by them speaking to us. We learn to speak with God by him speaking to us, and he speaks to us through his word. And so as we learn his word, we know how to speak to him. And so when we ask him for anything, it has to be in the framework of the truth. You know, is this God's will? And, so when, and now we have, we have other things that are kind of, you know, that are outliers. That kind of, here's God's will, and there's something that I want that's over here. Uh, being what? Maybe a health issue. Uh, all right, God, I want you to take away my cancer. Will he do it? Will he not? Uh, is it addressed in the scripture? I mean, there's a gift of healing, but do we find that, you know, that in anywhere in the scripture, that if we pray for healing, that it will be done? We don't see it anywhere. So what does that tell us? Things like that are completely in the will of God, in the, hand, you know, in the, in the decision-making of God, and if we die early of a disease, it's not a big deal. Now, don't get me wrong. <laughs> I don't mean that in a crass, cold way. But I mean that plenty have died young of a disease. My first wife died at 34 years old of AIDS. That was completely undeserved for her. And, but she faced the face with the Lord. I don't think she's up in heaven saying, man, I wish I could have lived at 35. She's not. Guarantee it. And everybody who's there. And time becomes a relative thing. Jesus died at 33-ish, wherever his age was. Paul didn't go the full length of time that we think he didn't live to be 100. Uh, so, so if we have something that's outside, we have to say, well, look, I defer to you on this, Father, and that comes from here. Right? Whatever your will be done, that's here. And so we can, we can calmly say, you know, I would love for this to be fixed, or I would love for this person to change, or I would love for this person to go away, or I would love to find Mr. or Mrs. Wright, or I, whatever. I think I was just reading about George, George Whitefield, Whitefield. He was in the Bible Museum, too. He was a great evangelist of the Great Awakening in the 1700s. And uh, his, his son, that he was so proud of, that he thought was one day going to be a great evangelist, died at four months old. And you know, I can't, that's like the, the thing that scares me the most, is the death of your child. But it's happened. It's happened a lot. So when, we, when Jesus says, ask the Father for anything, Within the framework of the truth of the Word of God, we can confidently say that this your will, Father, it will be done. It will be done. Now, uh, the other man in our story here has to learn something is Abraham. 
Abraham didn't fear God either. He, Abimelech didn't either, but Abraham feared Abimelech. Right? He's gonna, if I say Sarah's my wife, he's gonna take her and kill me. He, he was more afraid of Abimelech than he was of God. So God teaches him different. And also showed Abraham the power of prayer. I'm sure Abraham, he must have. If Abraham can pray for the healing of the house of Abimelech and it happens, couldn't he have prayed for protection when he, him and Sarah went into that land? Well, of course he could have. So, in prayer, Abraham has discovered something about God. He's got a long way to go still, like the rest of us. But all along the way, as we're conversing with God with hopes and dreams and desires and desires for others and intercession, we are discovering God and the reality of his presence in our day-to-day lives. So as we look, and we, we will, as we go along here, we're going to look at multiple prayers throughout the Bible and where it speaks of prayer. It's hundreds and hundreds of times. And this one, very famous passage in Jeremiah. And I wonder how many of us would have known that prayer is in this passage. Because I sure as heck didn't. Uh, go to Jeremiah 29. I mean, I I say it all the time. You will seek me and you will find me when you search for me with how much of your heart? All your heart, right? God says, look, you come looking, you will find. I I love this. I love this. I I don't know how many people that I speak to, like, for instance, at at the wedding, um, there's a lot of great people there. A lot of very successful, great, strong people. People that that are stronger and better than me. People are half my age that I think are stronger and better than me. Uh, And I I wonder, you know, how do I get there? Or what have I done? How do I change this? How do I become what I want to be? Because I haven't done it. Not yet. Not where I want to be. That should be true for all of us, I would assume. But like, you know, you, you think what God does here in His Word, and you only learn this through the truth, is that the mistakes of your past, your genetics, your environmental handicaps, because we all have some. Some have more than others. Envi- I mean like you're brought up in a, in a bad home or an abusive home, or you could be brought up in a loving Christian home, doctrinal home, uh, and, and varied all, many variations. Plus we have genetic things. Uh, people are more susceptible to addiction. People, some people are more susceptible to sicknesses. People are uh, born with uh, bad digestive systems, nervous systems. Some people are born with very strong nervous systems, like they just seem to be calm and strong. Some people have a, 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 an easier knack at learning. And so they, you know, they, can, they, they learn things a bit quicker than others. Uh, and so, you know, would God make us all equal? 
start us all off in the same assets or lack of. No. It's all over the place. It really looks like God is completely unfair. But then God says things like this. Seek me with all of your talent. I'm so glad he doesn't say that because what if you don't have any? (laughs) Seek me with all of your intellectual ability. Seek me with all of your uh, perfect your health or seek me with all of your money. I don't have any money. Do you have a heart? Because you can seek me. If you seek me with that, you will find me. And when you find him, he is more important by a mile than any success, money, any, any power uh, that is earthly. Anything earthly, all the kingdoms of the world, if they were yours, would not would pale in comparison to finding God Himself. So it wasn't just a belief in God that motivated prayer, but a desire to know and to understand Him. Now notice Jeremiah twenty nine eleven. For I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans for welfare and not for calamity, to give you a future and a hope. Now, this is spoken specifically to Israel. Uh, So, all of those uh, uh, covenant theologians out there, there's more more of them than I imagined. Uh, Their replacement theology, in which the church gets all of Israel's promises and Israel doesn't get any promises anymore, then this, this is a lie. And, and what happens is they have to interpret it the way that they want to, and you know it's and it takes away from just like you know learn of the word of God literally you know, what it literally says it will be. Does God have plans for the nation of Israel? Oh yeah, and it will happen. So and then he says, so look, starting again in verse eleven, I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for calamity to give you a future and a hope. Then, what what does then mean? Well, when you understand this, that I am not against you, Israel. I am for you. And you have to follow me. Right? Follow me. I'm not God didn't tell Israel to be sinless. He said follow me and follow my law and when you break the law and you will Offer to me the sacrifice that applies by my will and follow me. So he says what in verse 12? Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me and I will listen to you. And you will seek me and find me when you search for me with all your heart. And I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and I will restore your fortunes and will gather you from all the nations, from all the places where I have driven you, declares the Lord, and I will bring you back to the place from where I sent you into exile. That will be literally fulfilled in the thousand-year reign of Jesus Christ. But notice, what, what we all quote, you will seek me and find me when you search for me with all of your heart. Did we know that right next to that was prayer? In verse 12, you will call upon me and come and pray to me and I will listen to you and you will seek me with all your heart. 
See that? And then we jump forward to the Gospels where Jesus says, ask, seek, and knock, and it's in direct reference to prayer. Right? We have the, the prayer of the, the guy who wants bread from his neighbor and he won't, he won't quit. He keeps banging on the door. And the lady who wants, the widow who wants justice from the judge, she will not stop nagging him. And Jesus said to us, this is how you pray. Keep at it, keep at it, keep at it, keep seeking, keep asking, keep knocking. We come back here and we say, well, you know, at, at first we say, why do I got to keep asking God the same thing all the time? What is he got a bad memory? And, and he gives this clue here that what we're after is not only the deliverance that we're after or the wisdom that we're after or the power that we're after, because all of those things are God himself. Power is him. Wisdom is him. Deliverance is him. Joy, peace, hope. It's him. And so in essence, when I'm asking, seeking, knocking, I'm finding him. And what's better than that? Well, we find out nothing. Nothing is better than that. And then, Almighty God, oh, he's, he's awesome, isn't he? He sprinkles into our lives tribulation, difficulty, obstacles, stuff that just uh, we don't want to do. <laughs> you know? And he puts this all in here, thorn in the flesh there and a thing for you and a thing for you and a thing for you. And they're, they're all designed to test us on this point. Do we want him or do we want comfortability? Do we want him or do we want success at everything we do? Do we want him? And I said, can I have both? And he said, uh, no. Do you want me or do you want you? Because wanting me is the comfortable, easy, you know, everything I do is like Midas touch turns to gold. <clears throat> happy, healthy. We should always be happy, right? But healthy, handsome. Right? I'm not gonna. It's too late. Too late for that. <laughs> uh, you know what I mean. Do we want him or do we want us? And out of how many times we choose us over him, well, we'll find out in heaven. Uh, I think the, the scales there are going to like break on one side. But, uh, and God in his grace picks us up, dusts us off, cleans our wounds. There's the imagery right from the Old Testament. Bandages our wounds, put oils, puts oil on our wounds, heals us, heals the scars of our hearts, picks us up, like searching for that lamb that was left the 99 and brings us home and makes says, look, let's do it again. Because there's no condemnation with me. I'm not condemning you for this. I am for you, not against you. So no matter what's going on in your life, keep the communication open with me. Speak to me. In the realm of my word, speak to me in the realm of my truth, and you will find me. Seek me with all your heart. Let's pray. We thank you, Father, for your word. And thank you that you 
have so blessed us with promises and truth that cannot be denied and cannot be changed. And that is because you cannot be denied. You cannot change. Your word is you. It is your mind. It is you. And we have it here before us in abundance. And we ask, Father, that our hearts would be open to it, that we would see, which would make all the difference. And as we celebrate this time right now to, to remember the sacrifice of our Lord that made all of this possible for us to talk with you, communicate with you, that there's no barrier between you and us. The barrier has been torn down by the Lord Jesus Christ and his sacrifice that we now celebrate. His body, which is the bread, and his blood, which is the cup. We thank you, Father, for him and your precious love that is shown through him. And enable us, Father, through your truth to truly remember him during this time. We ask in his name. Amen. So we could uh, have our ushers come up and pass out the elements. Thank you. Uh, for the communion this morning, I, I chose a passage I just read a bit ago in John 14. Uh, you can turn there with me if you want, <coughs> or you can just listen. Uh, Jesus in John 14, he's just started the uh, upper room, uh, the, what we call the upper room discourse, starts in chapter 13. And uh, <coughs> he, he sees, of course, that the disciples are very troubled, um, what he's telling them especially about the fact that he's going to leave them. And um, they haven't understood what, what needs to happen. 
But uh, in, in great fashion of our Lord, in, in reference to what we just closed with, you know, that God is for us, uh, the Lord doesn't berate them. He doesn't put them down for their lack of understanding. He just teaches them and comforts them. Uh, and so he says in John 14:1, Let not your heart be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many dwelling places. And, you know, he could have ended it there, but here's what he says afterwards. If it were not so, I would have told you. Now, if there were some restriction here about how many places there were to live in heaven, I would have told you. But no, in my Father's house are many dwelling places. And the word many in the New Testament is used, uh, sometimes many means all. It's used in that context. And, but here, it would mean an abundance. So he says, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself. In other words, I'm not doing this for my health. <laughs> I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. I want you with me. And you know the way I'm going. And good old Thomas says, Lord, we don't know where you're going. How do we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on, you know him and have seen him. If you had known me, you would have known the Father. But, in other words, he says, you will. You will. Many dwelling places. You know, we were just in Washington, D.C. for a week. It's one of the most expensive, I think it's the most expensive city in America to live in. And there are a lot of restrictions. We even got a tour of the Capitol, and uh, Congress was in session. So there were parts of the Capitol that were cut off to us because here was Nancy Pelosi's office, and I know how you all feel about her. And you know, uh, you know, there were all these places that were cut off. You can't go there. That's for the special people. Same thing around in anywhere in any city. There's neighborhoods that are out of our price range especially now. Jesus says, there are many homes in my Father's house. Many. Which means what? Plentiful. Which means no, it's not restrictive. There are many. And do they cost a lot? They do. They cost a lot. They cost the life of the Lord Himself. Every one of those homes cost his life. The blood of Christ. What he said the cup was. This is the new covenant in my blood. But by faith in Christ as your Savior, your home in heaven is guaranteed. And your name is on the deed of that home for all of eternity. And Jesus is so excited to give it to you that he says, I'm going to come and get you and lead you to it. And this, this harkens back to the ancient ritual of Jewish marriage where the groom would go, the groom would present to the bride uh, uh, terms of engagement. If she said yes, then he would leave her to, with his father, go build a home for them. And when the home was finished, he would come back and get her. And it was a grand celebration and lead her to the home. And this is exactly what happens here because the Lord is our husband. 
So as the Lord, when he in this upper room, would have been after the actually in John, John doesn't present it, so we don't know if he said this after they had ate the bread and the wine or before. But when the hour had come, he reclined at the table and the apostles with him, and he said to them, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. I just jumped to Luke here. So, And when he had taken a cup and given thanks, he said, take this and share it among yourselves. I love how he does that because he's showing us that we are to celebrate this together. We are in this together as the body of Christ. There are many dwelling places. We're all going to be in that house together forever. We're to be together in unity and in peace. Take this and share it among yourselves. For I say to you, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine from now on until the kingdom of God comes. I'm not even going to drink of the vine until I can drink it with you. And when he had taken some bread and given thanks, he broke it and he said to them, This is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me and in remembrance of our great and awesome Savior. Let's eat the bread together. And in the same way, he took the cup after they had eaten, saying, This cup, which is poured out for you, is the new covenant in my blood. Drink of it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. And in honor of our Lord and his amazing sacrifice, let's drink the cup together. Our Heavenly Father, thank you so much for the gift of our Lord. The most precious gift that you could give is your very Son. Your Son who screamed from Calvary, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He is forsaken to be judged for all of our sins and then reunited to you after our sins were paid for. This cup of the new covenant is the forgiveness of all of our sins. And therefore, Father, we can present ourselves to you with confidence and boldness to learn of you, to pray to you, and to look forward to the day that we will see you face to face. Until that day, remind us, Father, through your word, to stay in contact with you day in and day out so that we may walk in your light. Thank you for our Lord and Savior. In his name we pray. Amen. All right, we'll take our offering. Uh, Let's pray for our offering. Father, thank you for the opportunity to give. And as your believer priests, we give to you. We give to you in worship of you and in honor of you. We ask, Father, that... You continue to guide us to use the finances you graciously give us to your glory and to communicate your word. We ask in Christ's name, amen.
There we go. Let's close in prayer. <laughs> Father, thank you for the opportunity to be together. Thank you for another day in your world and a day that is always filled with your grace. The closing moments of our service are dedicated to anyone who has not come to believe in Christ as their Savior. If you're listening to me and you have not accepted Jesus Christ as the Savior of the world, I beg you to please consider who is the Lord Jesus Christ. It is the most important decision you could ever make. It is not something to pass by uh, easily or flippantly, but to know that Jesus Christ is the Son of God who came into the world to save sinners, of which all of us are. He died upon a cross, being judged for the sins of the whole world, for your sins and for mine, so that we would be saved. But like any gift, you have to accept it. It's not work to do it. It's like holding out your hand to receive the most amazing and wonderful gift, which is eternal life with God forever. To live with Jesus Christ forever in perfect holiness. And so to to gain this is to do one thing, to believe upon Him as your Lord and Savior. By faith alone in Christ alone, we will be saved. <clears throat> and there's only one name under heaven by which we will be saved, is Jesus Christ. If you believe upon Him who died and resurrected again on the third day, and you will be saved. We thank you, Father, and may your hand and your eyes and all you are be upon us all today. We ask in Christ's name, amen. Tell us why.